Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 402, and we are recording live on February 12th. Uh, Abriana, you've had a long travel day. Where are you? I am in Sandpoint, Idaho for the Cochaba Mobile Summit. So I have been traveling since about, well, I've been up since about 3.30 a.m. my time. and is now 5 p.m. Pacific time. Um, and so I'm about to go push through, got a dinner, got all kinds of stuff coming up. But, um, yeah, it should be a good time. It's snowing like crazy here. Apparently there's a lake like right outside my room, but it's just like this big white puff. <laughs> I yeah. can't see anything. Can't see it. Yeah, so this Atlanta girl is enjoying the cold uh, so far, as long as I don't have to shovel any snow. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. It's it's snowing like crazy here today, and ice and freezing rain and all of it mixed together. I'm, I'm, I'm of course, in Toronto, um, but it's supposed to be all done at midnight tonight. Um, the While you're in Idaho, I'm supposed to be on a 6 a.m. flight with my family to Cuba tomorrow, but I don't know. I mean, with this weather, I'm not sure. I'm hoping. You know, we got equipment, so hopefully everything gets cleared off and we can get out of here in the morning uh, on time, which is why we're recording here tonight. Uh, it's because we don't want to miss a week. We like bringing this, sh- this show to you every single week, so here we are. Uh, so we have three industry news stories, three member news stories. We were going to do a bit of research thing in the middle, but we dropped that in the interest of time and bandwidth. So we'll just jump right into it. Abriana. All right, I'm kicking it off with kicks, sneakers. We're talking about Goat, which is um, an e-commerce, mobile e-commerce sneaker app, if you are not familiar. Um, and it launched a new AR campaign, uh, which is pretty cool. So they did this back for Black Friday, but they're just now announcing it and announcing some results and numbers, which you know I like to talk about alongside of it. So um, what they did is that people who were using the Goat app got so many tickets, right, to be entered into the sweepstakes to draw for free shoes. And um, so it was up to $10,000 in credit to shop um, on GOAT and get, you know, obviously sneakers and other prizes. And consumers could earn more tickets by going to um, 125 different locations that were associated or represented important places for greatest of all time athletes, right? So whenever somebody would visit one of these locations, there was like a 3D AR object that was tied to um, the location that could earn them more tickets, and then obviously it was something that you know was an experience. Um, so there was push notifications that were sent on site, um, and they said that the results in terms of that it helped the company grow to reach more than 10 million registered users of the app. So that is um, a big number, especially just from one campaign. And what I really like about this is the fact that um, I think that sneakerheads and like this whole audience, um, you know, a lot of them are sports enthusiasts as well. They're also like really dedicated into the things that they will do for these sneakers. Um, you know, we've seen other companies like Adidas do these geofence, you know, to get the Yeezys or whatever it may be. So I think this like really, um, it registers re- really well with me. It resonates. I think that it makes sense. Um, I see a lot of bad implications or just not so quite uh, goal-oriented implications of AR a lot of times that we talk about on the show, but I think this is a pretty good one. Um, and I like this. I think it's cool. 
Yeah, I think it's super cool. I mean, goats are always doing interesting things. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we, we we talk a lot about AR. We talk about interesting social media campaigns, but often they just don't have reach or impact because, you know, they're, they're not able to execute or, or they're, you know, they do it on one channel, but it's not integrated to the others. This is one where I think given the culture and the sneakerhead environment and, you know, a propensity for that demographic, with, I don't have any data to back it up, but, you know, for that demographic to kind of, uh, you know, be artsy, be creative, want to engage uh, in, in this type of thing. I think this makes a lot of sense. And they have over 10 million registered users on the app. So it's not like they don't have reach. They certainly do. Um, you know, and we've seen this kind of, you know, for me, the, 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 the essence of this is the location element to it, right? It's 125 different locations with unique content available in each location that's tied to that place about athletes from that place and all of that. And it reminded me of a project we had done some years ago in the music industry. Um, you know, being from Toronto, you know, we've got artists like Drake and so on. And we had this idea of like, what if you, you know, if, let's say you're a fan of Drake's and you're out for your morning jog or your run, um, you know, on your route. And what if we could embed uh, metadata in, in the music stream itself that you're listening to that had location, you know, content associated with it. So you're running along and you, you happen to run by you know, the high school that Drake went to or something like that. And we could interject and say, hey, you know, that place of that guy that you like and you listen to, you know, that here's why it's relevant, um, you know, and things like that. And I think if you can bring content, uh, experiential content to people in places uh, and it's stuff that they already care about, whether it's an artist or an athlete, you know, or sneakers, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. So I love this campaign um, and, and I'm excited about it. And you know, I, I think I read earlier this week, too, uh, another story uh, not related to this particular campaign, but I think these guys are either being acquired or invested uh, in through Foot Locker as well. So good on GOAT. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great play, I think, for Foot Locker. We don't want to see Foot Locker become, you know, the next Toys R Us. So I think that that makes a lot of sense, um, you know, and staying very relevant with that type of a culture. So. Cool. All right, so moving from goat sneakers to uh, watches and contactless payments, Swatch uh, is at it uh, again, and here they are. So basically they're launching a what they're calling Swatch Pay, which is contactless payment. They're doing this in Switzerland uh, using NFC or near-field technology where you simply hold uh, the device underneath a contactless terminal or up to a contactless terminal, and you can complete a transaction. It's not anything more complicated than that. It's just it's built into the latest Swatch uh, watches. And, you know, I think there's still a pretty active culture around Swatch. I mean, it's they're simple. They're, you know, uh, they're not like complicated pieces of, uh, of watch uh, hardware in terms of design and all of that. They come in like a gazillion colors and, and patterns and, you know, they're funky and they're cool and they're pretty uh, relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, and, and I can see a big market for this. And, and I think, you know, just just like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or any of these kind of payment platforms work with your phones, being able to, if you have, if you wear a Swatch, you can just kind of come up to the, the payment terminal and just pay with that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And so they've, uh, with this announcement in Switzerland, they've got a number of um, uh, banking partners that they're, they're already working with, uh, including MasterCard. Um, they've got banks like Sembra Money Bank, Corner Card, Credit Swiss, Swiss Bankers, Swiss Card, UBS, and Visa. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, good players, well-known players uh, that are backing this thing and getting involved in it. And I think the simplicity of it is what I like. I think the uh, accessibility of it in terms of price point of where Swatch sits in the, in the watch market, 
I think makes it, you know, uh, you know, easy for a lot of people as well. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And, and, and while this is happening in Switzerland, it's following on a uh, previous successful launch of the same thing that they did in China. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, what I like about this is I think we've seen a lot of designers put out a, um, a piece of jewelry, you know, that is like some type of a connected play, right? So something that might do payments or might be like a tracker, but it's like a specific piece of jewelry for that purpose. Whereas I think this makes so much more sense because they're working with what they've already got. They're not changing anything. They're not creating a new offer or a new um, product to be based around. They've already got people who buy the Swatch Watch. They want to have, you know, easy, more seamless payments. And now that's, you know, adding it in. And I think that this is something that they could build upon, right? So they could add in more features as they see a fit for it. You know, maybe it is like a, a Fitbit type of a play or, you know, something that kind of tracks your fitness or anything like that. But I think starting out this way with a piece that people already utilize without changing that piece, um, you know, I think it, in essence, you are manipulating consumer behavior without actually doing anything. So, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. So our third story um, and final industry news story is from BevMo um, and the Mars Agency. So the Mars, Mars Agency has been testing a smart aisle shopper platform um, with voice, right? And so BevMo has like 150 stores. It's like a liquor wine store. Uh, mostly, um, I think like California are, you know, a lot of California stores and West coast stores. It's not something we have in Atlanta to my knowledge, but, um, they've been testing this in five different stores. And what it is, is it's like the shopping assistant. So think of an end cap that has maybe, you know, 20 different liquors or brands, or maybe something that's a genre, um, of a beverage that is there. And it's a two-minute experience. So there's these call to actions. You get to have this interactive conversation to talk about your preferences, what you like, what you don't like. Um, and then at the end of this, you know, two minutes or less, the voice interface will provide you with um, some LED lights to, to direct you to up to three different choices, right? So it might say like, hey, are you a bourbon drinker? You know, I might say like, I actually prefer to stay away from scotch notes. Um, I don't like anything too sweet, you know, something like that. And it'll say, okay, you know, what do you usually drink? What's the price point? Ask you to qualifying questions and then give you a few different options. Um, so then the LED shelf lights will light up and kind of navigate you towards the three different, you know, options that they they um, could potentially be a good fit for you. So I like this um you know, they, they're saying that the voice um, voice shopping is voice commerce, as it's called, is expected to grow from $2 billion currently to $40 billion in the next three years. I mean, this is a huge jump. Um, and they also saw that they they tested this in a separate, not in a, not in a um, BevMo, but in a separate Manhattan liquor store. And they saw for these particular brands that they tested it on that sales rose 20%. So that's a nice like little jump in price point and I like those numbers. Um, so they use an Amazon Echo smart speaker, the custom signage, you know, call to action. Um, I, I like this, but my one question is, you know, I feel like this is something when I'm thinking about it from a consumer perspective as I was kind of digesting this and walking through the store, the story, I was thinking if I'm going into, you know, a beverage store alone, I'm not sure this is something I necessarily want to test out. If I was in there, you know, with my husband or a friend, then maybe I would go through this process. 
But, you know, um, talking to something on my own in a liquor store, you know, for minutes at a time um, might make other people question if I should be purchasing alcohol. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, I think this is I think it's cool. I like how they're engaging and I like how they're kind of qualifying it with um, sort of like a question and answer type of interactivity. Um, But I would love to see, you know, what is the actual experience like and is it awkward? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think for, for me, um, you know, what I like about this story is, is that, it, you know, we, we're we seeing a growing trend. The data is backing it up around voice commerce, as you said, $2 billion today to $40 billion by 2022. Uh, this is a big, big market. We're seeing massive amounts of, uh, of conversation and discussion within our member base uh, from retailers across the board. Uh, around this just last week while I was in Germany at our, our European conference at LOCA conference you know there was a big uh, amount of discussion around voice uh, search and voice commerce I expect at Retail LOCO uh, this spring in April and back in, in Atlanta this fall we'll be talking about voice commerce again so I, I think there's a huge huge potential for this and and I think to your point about the awkwardness of the experience you know, for me, the, the way I see it is um, is that I think consumers in general are getting more comfortable with voice, especially in their home environment with Alexa and Google Home and things like that. And so as we do so, as we get more, you know, just more comfortable and using that on a more regular basis, I think when we go out into the real world, into, into, the, into the retail, into the shopping environments, if these types of technologies are there as they're testing here with BevMo, I think it becomes easier for us to to do that because we're used to doing it at home. Uh, so I think that transition will just get easier over time. They did point out in the, in the, in the study here that they said the uh, experience is designed to last no longer than two minutes. So I think if you're sitting, you know, 180, 90 seconds, you know, or less uh, and somewhere like that, and you're just asking a question, getting an answer, I think it's okay. You're not going to look like a, too much of a crazy person uh, <laughs> in the, in the, in the, in the liquor store. But uh so, so I think that's the key. I think that's the trigger there. If you can, if you can get it to something short, prompt that is informative and answers questions, uh, I think that's really good. And you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to see the Mars Agency is kind of playing around with these kinds of things. I'd love to have them come and talk at Retail Local in April in Seattle about something like this, especially on you know our panel with voice commerce and all that. So, that could be interesting. So, um, you know, for me, this is a one to watch. And and um, and I did I did read to your question about you know where these guys have stores. There's 170 stores: California, Arizona, and Washington uh, is where they are. So none in Atlanta. There you go. So that's our three industry news stories for this week. I'm uh, going to shift over now. As I said, we were going to bring you some research, but in the interest of time and bandwidth and other issues, we're going to skip that and hold it off uh, and go right to our member news now. And I'll kick that off with a uh, probably my favorite story this week, and that is in London, England. The mayor of London, whose name is Sadiq Khan, same spelling, not related uh, to me, uh, he's been the mayor for quite a while now. Um, and uh, apparently doing a good job because uh, he hasn't been kicked out yet so there he is and uh, he's uh, initiated a new campaign a uh, new advertising campaign to raise awareness about the impact of uh, adverse weather conditions on the homelessness uh, issue uh, around London and any big city whether it's London or New York or Toronto or Atlanta uh, is gonna you know has has a homeless issue uh, to some level uh, to some extent and so essentially what he's doing about this and what uh, the, the, the city is doing about this there is they're calling this the rough sleeping campaign. And uh, they've got 130 locations across London where they're using uh, live weather data to uh, update dynamic elements of digital out of home displays, uh, depending on the temperature. 
So basically, as uh, and they're getting this this uh, data directly from the Met Office, which is the official weather office uh, in London. And so basically, they get live weather data uh, as the evening is approaching, and the weather uh, the temperature is dropping. If it goes to zero or below, it then you know prompts these ads to run on these uh, on these digital screens, basically saying, look, you know, there's there's homeless people on the streets that have to endure this cold weather tonight. Uh, you know, and uh, as a as a public, you know, we need to we need to be aware of this and we need to do something about it. And um, yeah, so so I think it's it's powerful. They've got uh, it's Weber Shandwick, um, the agency in London, has donated their time, creative time, to create this campaign for them. Uh, they're working with production house named Voodoo, which is V O O D O O H, as in digital out of home. Uh, and Clear Channel has has donated all of their uh, media inventory uh, to this campaign uh, to support it. So, all in all, it's 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 pro bono and it's helping people, uh, and it's it's good news across the board. And they're they're uh, supplementing this as well with uh, radio ads around the same content, the same message. Uh, that and all of this is running has been well, the radio ads have been running uh, since January twenty eighth. The out of home campaign has been running since November. Uh, and all of this runs up until the end of uh, this month, basically. And um, I think uh, I think you know this this is the kind of thing that cities need to be doing. This is the kind of thing that creatives and ad agencies need to be supporting and donating time and inventory towards and creative towards um, because it's an issue. And and we need to we need to help these people. And and I love I, I just love this campaign. I think it's great. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? I love it. I think it's. Um... I, I love the fact that we have the accessibility to all of this really cool data um, and technology and that we can actually implement it and use it for good and for social responsibility and, um, you know, taking care of people. So uh, nobody deserves to be out in inhumane conditions and in freezing temperatures. Um, and so just being able to, you know, maybe bring awareness to that so that you can bring somebody a warm meal or bring them a blanket or a warm coat or um, you know, I'm sure there's other call to actions that they had there, and I think that it's uh, such a worthy cause. And so, I like this. What a feel good story for the yeah, week, right? Yeah, yeah. And to your point on call to actions, there is there is a call to action. So they they they've teamed up with this thing called Streetlink, which is a website app and a phone uh, number that you can dial into that members of the public can can basically through any one of these channels. Uh, alert the the agency and and then they connect the person uh, who's who's the homeless person to the local support services and it's working they said that they've already raised in terms of uh, dollars uh, over 200 million uh, sorry over 200,000 pounds uh, of support uh, from local people in London and and they've had 9,165 referrals uh, to the street link service uh, to get people uh, off the street or you know into somewhere warm or whatever so uh, it's great. It's working. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's see more of this. That's it. That's all I got to say. Good story. Yeah. So, you know, the uh, social network, and I say that lightly, um, Nextdoor, right? This U.S.-based company, it's an app. Obviously, it's connecting all these neighborhoods, well, neighbors with their neighborhood and letting them know what's going on in their community. So it's been around for about seven years now. Um, and I've always been wondering, like, what are they going to do with this? Because the data they have is incredible, right? Um, I'm not sure that the uh, interaction is all the time, but it is. Um, anyways, it's, you know, they have this, like, great data set because they have all of these verified locations. Um, 190,000 U.S. neighborhoods. 
and they have been backed by almost 300 million in venture capital funding over the years. So, you know, they have tens of millions of users and um, they are now running new ads, right? So they are doing verified location data to build this big ad business um, and they have supposedly tripled their ad business, which is pretty amazing. Um, what I find interesting about this is that now they're they're selling CPMs from like eight to thirty dollars, and the minimum buy-in is twenty-five grand, right? So this is obviously something that is seriously targeted towards you know um, national brands, probably with like you know many locations throughout various neighborhoods across you know the country or at least across a region that have a twenty-five thousand dollar ad spend budget. Um, and I think that this is great that they're doing this and obviously it's great that they're monetizing that platform. But my, um, you know, my one takeaway from this was like, what are they doing for the smaller businesses? Right. And I read through this article that they have, you know, smaller businesses that just post things about like their business. So in essence, it's a unpaid ad, but I'm sure without like the creative and anything else. Right. So my question was like, well, they should open this up to like a self-service platform. Maybe that's the direction that they're going and they're just starting obviously with like, what's the bigger bucket. Um, so the bigger bucket is the national brands and those, you know, I think uh, from a business owner perspective and being able just to go on Instagram and spend like, hey, I'm going to spend 15 bucks on Instagram today because there's an event and I'm targeting something that's within a specific area or a radius of um, that. But being able to, you know, extend special offers to nearby neighborhoods, I think it is super powerful, but being able to do it at a smaller scale um, and one-offs, I think would be super amazing and, and um, probably like even continue to increase it. I know that you don't think that, you know, small businesses have tons of buying power, but I think little by little they do spend a lot and they come back and there's a lot of return there um, and engagement. So I'd love to see them do something like that. But what I think the, the main goal of this story was saying, hey, you know, they're running location-based ads finally um, and they're obviously doing well at it since they're tripling their business. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, these guys have been at it for a while now. They've raised a ton of money. They, they're sitting on top of a gold mine of data, uh, and, and now they're finding a way to monetize it. And, you know, what, what's interesting for me is is that, uh, you know, whether whether it's a business that can pay $25,000 or more or, you know, it's a, it's a business that's smaller than that, I think this is the kind of platform that any business, you know, quite frankly, especially like service-oriented businesses, uh, can can leverage, right? And uh, you know, what was interesting, I, I was reading in the uh, in the release here, they were they were talking about that they also uh, offer third-party targeting uh, through Oracle and LiveRamp, um, which is great because you know you, you can sort of extend the the reach of, of the platform there, and uh, and it's all about you can target by location, by time of day, by uh, interests, uh, household comp, you know behavior, a whole bunch of different targeting capabilities. And that's, you know, for me, that's the key here, right? Because just going, at, you know, after an audience based on one attribute is tough, right? Like, because, you, you know, you're really limiting, you know, the capability of what you can do with the platform. But if you can have this kind of breadth uh, in a platform with this kind of reach, uh, with millions of tens of millions of users, um, I think you're, uh, you're opening the door to something that... Uh, that uh, you know has a lot of potential. It's not unlike the Foursquare story in a lot of ways, right? Where 
you know, they collected a lot of data for years and didn't make a cent, um, you know, until the last few years, right? So when they started to really find ways to, to drive revenue and monetize. And so, you know, I see a similar path uh, for, for what these guys are doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it, for, for us at the LBMA, I, I think that we, increasingly I'm seeing within our member base, within the brands and the retailers we work with, uh, you know, more demand for this type of platform, right? So uh, I can see... For me, I can see a path to success here. Uh, you know, that's easily achievable with with the kind of data that they have. So, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. As a side note, if you have never looked at the Best of Next Door uh, Twitter feed, you should definitely check it out. It is like guaranteed, you know, entertainment. <laughs> nice. All right, uh, our final story now uh, is we are going to talk about Toyota. Uh, and they have been using location ads. So this is more of a case study with some data. I, you know, this is the, the, the show where we actually talk about results, uh, you know, for a change. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Toyota ran a campaign uh, with um, Sachi and Sachi and Ground Truth. Uh, and basically the dealers association wanted to try, try and drive more visits uh, to dealer lots. Um, and uh, so they, they delivered 1,900, you know, sorry, 192,000 ad impressions to prospective car buyers. Uh, and that actually resulted in 1,200 visits uh, directly attributed to that. Um, and so they were able to show a correlation between the store and the audience visitation, uh, the, the store performance and the audience uh, visitation. Uh, don't know actual sort of revenue numbers if people actually bought and all of that, but, but what we do have is real tie back to saying, Ad was delivered. Ad resulted in a uh, visit to the dealership. Um, you know, so 192,000 to 1,200, uh, which I think is is good. I think that's you know pretty uh, significant uh, results. You know, for you know something of this size, and you know, especially when you're talking about car purchasing. Like this isn't like we're talking about you know uh, an offer on PlayStation. You know, uh, available at Best Buy. You know, like this is you know a big purchase item, like a car. Um, you know, so so I think that's that's powerful uh, when you see that, and and uh, and, and I'm, I'm always thankful that you know when you see companies like Ground Truth and Toyota in this case, you know, sharing the data, sharing the results, uh, so that other people can benefit from that. So, uh, good on them for that. Yeah, I don't have a ton to add. This is the the results we're always, um, you know, asking for on this show and trying to say like, well, what should people expect, right? Um, so I guess if I if my math is correct and don't hold me to this, it's roughly like a little over half of a percent, right? Yeah. For um, which, like you said, for a big purchase like a car, um, I mean, we don't know that twelve hundred people bought, but we know that twelve hundred people actually went yeah. to the dealership. So you know, even if a tenth of them bought, I would say that was probably a good investment on on their behalf. I don't know. Um, but it makes us think about what we're doing and the impact that it has. So, and trying to grow that, you have to have some sort of a, um, you know, a basis for, for where you can go from there. So yeah, and this really was cool. pure location targeted ads, um, and it was focused only on the dealers in the Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Just just so <laughs> people know, so it wasn't some broad across the U.S. campaign. So. We still gotta uh, so get. It. I'm still getting emails and messages about getting results for Burger King and McDonald's, um, the Burger King Geo Conquest yeah, thing. Yeah. And I'm working on it. I promise. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get it. 
I think I might have something, but all right, cool. Stay tuned. Cool. <laughs> uh, I, I did reach out to the CMO at Burger King and tried to get him to come speak at Retail Loco. He's not available in April, but he might be available for Atlanta. Uh, so I'm, I'm still working that angle. Like I'm twist. I'm trying. I'm trying. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyhow, that's our show for this week. You've been listening to episode 402 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Um, and uh, as always, if you have feedback, if you have story ideas, reach out to us. The contact information is all available at the end of the show. And uh, we will be back next week with 403. I won't be back next week because uh, I will be hopefully in sunny Cuba. But Aubriana will be back next week uh, uh, to do a show uh, perhaps with uh, our good friend Karsten. So uh, you can watch out for that. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, I'll see you in two weeks. So that's it. Bye. Bye.